Hello and welcome to the Chasing Faith podcast. This is going to become a place for us to discuss issues of faith in a way that leads us towards a more authentic, open, honest, and generous expression of what we truly believe. I'm Brandon Batson. I'm the producer of this podcast and the Communications and Connections Director here at Christ Church in New York City. I'm here with your host, the Reverend Dr. Stephen Bauman, the Senior Minister here at Christ Church. Each week, our podcast will begin with Steve giving a short talk on whatever subject we might be covering that week, followed by a discussion between the two of us and guests of the podcast. So, welcome, Monica Estrada Guzman. And uh, Brandon and I are here having a conversation with you about Chasing Faith. And we're so glad to have you participate in this chat. And I know our listeners will be edified by your story, because it's an interesting story for a lot of us, uh, different from what many listeners' lives have been up to this point. And I think we have something to hear and learn from your experience. But first, we should probably just uh, learn about uh, how we've come to know you. And I'm going to let you tell that story and, uh, and what you're currently working at. Gracias, Steven and Brandon. Buenos dias. Hello to everyone. So excited <laughs> to be here. Um, yeah, so um, our journey began four years ago. I was Wow, it's been that long. It's huh? been four years. Okay. Can you believe it? Um, yeah. I remember still being in grad school, um, coming to interview, getting to know you guys in between classes, um, practice class to be precise, and just speaking about um, what the future of Nido de Esperanza then known as Enido, um, and learning about Christ Church and how they, you know, wanted to invest in a community, wanted to give back, and just really um, learning and just loving the fact that, um, you know, our the mission statement is like, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And for me, it was really special because my grandfather became a believer in a Methodist church in Guatemala. Ah. So when- and just to interrupt one moment for our listeners' sake, mm-hmm. so... Monica is ref- referencing the fact that we began uh, Nido de Esperanza in Washington Heights four years ago, and it was a ground-up birthing of a new program that was going to be working with mothers with children zero to three years of age under the kind of the banner of breaking the back of poverty in a zip code, believing that uh, interventions at the earliest of ages was mm-hmm the most important intervention that could be made. And Mm -hmm. uh, as we were getting ready to launch this, uh, we needed a person to help (laughs) us do that. (laughs) And that's how Monica originally came to us and um, what she's referencing from four years ago. Take it away, Monica. Thank you, Stephen. So yeah, for me, it was like, you know, um, having that initial phone call um, and sharing it with my, my mom and my grandfather and being reminded that I, um, our faith began at a Methodist church in Guatemala by, by my grandfather becoming a believer and just a full believer of how circles, coming to full circles. And who knew, right, that mm-hmm. um, my story um, will begin in New York, continue at the, sec- the next chapter, um, and just how faith and how God just continues to open up doors um, my my journey to um, academics and through life has not been one that's been linear or 
as well. It's been filled with different robot uh, roadblocks and obstacles and um, not being documented for so many years and thriving through that of putting myself through school with my mom and encountering, you know, um, policies that prevented um, students of my generation to further continue your education uh, and making it a little bit more difficult for us. But, you know, um, just leaning on my faith and leaning on those around me that helped me in prayer, that picked me up in those moments that were the hardest and sharing verses that are still true to my heart and that are tattooed in my mind, body and soul as, you know, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. That's been like my mantra and it's gotten me through very difficult times or, um, um, before you were born, I set you apart and having a purpose. And I feel like that even being truer today and the time that we're living and being called to action and being called to love my neighbors, to serve them, to, um, you know, look fear, um, scarcity or this pandemic in the eye and just saying, I am mighty because he is with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really leaning on my faith and leaning on friends that share our part of my community Um has been very vital today and just my whole life. And little did I know that, you know, coming to NYU um, in 2014 will change my life completely to graduating and meeting one of the best mentors, professors um, in NYU, policy professor, and that, you know, that introduced me to Christ Church. uh, uh, It was like friends of friends. You know, before we get to that, uh, why don't you fill us in a bit on your history and and how you, you know, just some of your journey, you know, as a child and coming into the States and what, you know, how, what, what was that like? Right. Um, So my mom decided to come to the U.S. Um, We were very fortunate that we had family members that live in New York, Chicago, New Mexico, and California. And we were leaving um, Guatemala in the late 80s and 86, where visas were a little bit difficult, where you will go to the U.S. Embassy, and it was like a 50-50 or sometimes like 80-20 percentage of you being able to get a visa. So with our faith and trust, we went, we ended up, you know, getting approved for a U.S. visa. Our family helped us pay for our tickets and also um, the fee to get our visas and passports. My mom chose California because... She does not like the cold. <laughs> and yeah. I'm a good, you know, Central American. You go to California because it is the same climate and there's like a huge community, a cool, huge pull factor. Um, so my mom's strength and resilience to say, like, I want something different. Um, she had separated from my dad. My dad was in his own journey and not being very supportive and she just wanted to, you know, create a new life for us. And very, um, you know, we felt the pull of our family giving us that opportunity and having that privilege to get on a Pan Am flight and um, coming to Los Angeles. And that's where our journey began. Uh, my mom um, was an office manager. She went from that to being a housekeeper, then a nanny. And one of the families that she worked with, um, the Rollins, um, Paula's parents were missionaries in Mexico. And so they became, they were the first example of what God's love and grace and sharing social capital and really believing and helping someone thrive. Um, Paula and John made sure that I got the resources to 
learn English, to have dual language, um, for my mom to have her own apartment. And by her moving a couple blocks from where we live, changed um, our school district. And so this school district had services and programs that I benefited um, as being a, a bilingual, bicultural um, little girl from, California, from Guatemala um, and helping us um, find our own way, um, building up on my mom's strengths and her resiliency um, to create a better tomorrow for, for ourselves. So I grew up in West LA. I loved it. Um, just, you know, as every girl and just hearing my grandmother's words of, you know, your parents made a great sacrifice and education is key. Go to school, go to school, go to school. Um, you know, senior year hit. And at that time, I was still undocumented. Um, we had Governor Pete Wilson. He changed the rules where if you were undocumented or did not have a social security, um, you could not get a driver's license and then higher education it closed where you had to pay um, international fees. So um, international fees were like 50 times more than the regular. The units back then were $11 a unit. Um, and from 11, can you imagine going to 125? And when mm. you took a full load, it's like 12 units, right? So how was I able, how was I going to afford this? I remember um, enrolling in community college and then getting a letter and saying, because I couldn't prove my status, I either had to pay international fees or withdrawal. And I remember getting the deposit and just being heartbroken. Um, and then using that money to come to New York and spending time with my aunt, who has been like my my spiritual guidance um, throughout my life and sitting in front of the Metropolitan Museum and just saying like, why me? I've done everything right. You know, I'm trying to be a good person. I have goals. I have dreams. And just asking God to give me guidance. And I remember that being like one of the darkest and saddest part, parts of my life, but also reminding myself that my dream was going to be to come to New York and making a decision that I was not going to let no man policy keep me away from um, achieving my dreams and found a way and went to community college in Glendale and found a coach that just took all of us under his wings. And by the time I graduated from the community college, we had a new governor, we had Davis, who reversed the law and um, passed AB 540. And that allows students who were undocumented to continue to go to school. It was like, you can say like early version of the DREAM Act in a way, but you still had to pay tuition. And so my hope, one of my dreams was to go to UCLA and that was way expensive, but made the choice of going to Cal State LA and that changed my life. Um, they had a social work program. They had professors that had taught in different places and found their education and took me to that trajectory of continue, continuing to dream and not give up. I graduated. I was unable to work as a social worker, but find way, found ways to continue that dream alive, to make sure that I had the professional development, to be able to put on my resume where there was that huge gap that was between graduating and when I went and got my master's. Um, and my immigration journey took 27 years. 27 wow. years of just like, what is going on? And at, oftentimes I joke that I was the Latina version of Joe in this immigration <laughs> journey. And was so happy that it took 27 years, not 40. How, I, remind me how old you were when you first came to the States? I was seven. Seven, mm -hmm. okay. I was seven. Um, <clears throat> 
And and somewhere along the line, after college, you wound up at NYU. How did that happen? Well, I always knew I wanted to go to school in New York, and NYU was between NYU and Columbia. Um, prior to 9-11, I was able to fly freely across the country or different places. Um, and I remember just visiting um, NYU and Columbia, making appointments to see which of those two schools and falling in love with NYU. Uh, my aunt um, that lives here in Long Island just reminded me a couple months ago saying like, I can't believe everything that you have been able to achieve. And I'm like, why, tia, por qué? She's like, I remember when you first visited New York, um, I was either nine or 10 and she took me to um, the World Trade Center. And I remember being there, looking at the city. And she was like, I remember you saying, like, Dia, one day I'm going to come to New York for school. I am going to live here. I'm going to work here. I'm going to make it happen. And, you know, you forget those little things, right? And yes, then yes. forward to now. And look at how God's grace has opened up. So I was able to go to NYU once I got my residency. And even that... Um, I had to defer one year, Stephen, because I thought um, the way that immigration process happens is like whatever visas are available and it's based on the applicants um, when the application was submitted or received in received by INS. So I thought I was going to be able to start school in 2013, but there was other plans. Um, things got delayed a little bit and then I was able to start NYU fall 2014 and I believe it was all in God's perfect timing because of the opportunities that came through the moment that I crossed one Washington Square. Uh, opportunities to study abroad, to be one of the one of the one of the first thirteen students that um, spent a whole semester abroad in Argentina, um, to be able to be a pioneer. And I feel like that's kind of been my theme, where God puts me in places where it's starting. Um, well, it sounds course. like you've been a pioneer since you were seven, at least. So that's what brought me to New York. Of um, Also, like, and my whole thought of I'm not going to let a policy or institutions or um, keep me away. I wanted to make sure that the moment I crossed NYU, they knew why they needed to invest more in Latinas, more women of color, of we are worthy. And just sitting there and just, you know, sometimes with friends that were women of color, too, of, man, like, do we really belong here? Like, really going through an imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Of, oh, I bet. Yeah. You know, of, um, do I have, like, the right backpack? Like, what's, like, silly things that, you know, you feel like when you're in high school or junior high. But just, you know, leaning in my faith in my community and saying, like, you are. They would have not said yes to your application. And even, mm. too, I had applied to state schools and... It was during budget cuts, and I didn't get because the programs were very competitive. And then when you came, and I was like, man, this is bananas. Like, really? Like, this is, like, after all this time, like, I got the yes. And it then, sounded like they wanted you because they kind of recognized what was necessary, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, like, even, you know, choosing my profession of social work, like, I love history. I wanted to major in Latin American studies and be a professor or sociology. But, um, you know, having people in my life that were social workers that modeled and where you can have that advocacy, you can help others, you can speak for others, um, echo, um, and also like our faith of serving others. Like I often like feel like social works um, history or basis are like Christian, right? Of taking care of the widow, the poor, 
um, giving voice. Well, to you them. know, you know, the modern social work movement did have some of its roots embedded within, <clears throat> say, the Methodist settlement houses here in the United States, and it, it was based, you know, based on uh, receiving immigrants. And yeah. uh, it's an yeah. interesting historical footnote to yeah. how the social work movement actually got part of public policy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so there we go again, the Methodist connection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think one of the things that I find so interesting about your story is, is just one after the other, it seems like there were roadblocks in the way of you moving to the next step that you knew like was on your heart, like mm-hmm. part of your story. And I know so many people that have had similar things happen to them and that that was just where the road ended. Mm-hmm. So what what was it, do you think, that propelled you or gave you that perseverance to get through those things? Like, you know, Was your faith a factor? Was mm-hmm. your upbringing a factor? I want to say it's a mix of everything. Like one, just looking at my mom, just saying, I'm going to go into the unknown, leave everything behind, right? leaving her primary attachment and identity, language, culture, who she was, um, and adapting. Um, my grandmother, too, she didn't have the opportunity to continue to go um, to school. She has a third-grade um, third um, education, if not less. And her life has been filled with so many roadblocks, too, but she persevered. At nine, she became a, a housekeeper under the guise that she was going to live with a teacher that was going to help her. Um, guide her and (laughs) overcame that, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like the strong women in my life, even some of my mentors as well, of just what they've been doing and and people that just come alongside that, you know, try to normalize and give me an opportunity as a child, you know, as going to my first Christian camp (laughs) to, you know, going to summer programs and having the opportunities to continue to to learn, to um, going to um, education-wise, you know, the Rollins, um, helped my mom and I so much where I went to a private Baptist school. And in order to make sure that I was up to speed, I had tutors and getting ready for that summer of even having folks pour into my cup and saying, like, we believe in you. You got this. Um, And they became a big part of my community until today, too. Um, um, John and Paula are a big part of my life. Uh, I remember calling John and telling him I got my green card. And he was like... (gasps) you know, going to his men's group and saying, like, one of the biggest prayers just got answered. And, you know, just feeling that, feeling others praying for you and keeping you. To having one of the church ladies saying, like, you know, I'm praying that God used to see you as a missionary. And I was like, Lord Jesus, I can't even leave the country. How is that going? <laughs> you know, um, to, to mm. you know, having people prophesize and just breathe life and just spirituality into my life and picking me up when you know I was so angry at God at a moment and just saying like why you know and you know I got really into reading like Samuel and Kings and seeing their journey and Esther and I was like okay so I everybody faces something in their lives and my journey is perhaps you know not having my my residency and taking this long and just seeing how God's grace, just all the opportunities and more that I had dreamed and prayed for, have come into fruition. And you know, I'm not, I'm not, I would not be able to achieve this without a community, 
without my family and without my faith and um and that's like the basis of who I am now and even as a social worker and you know one of the founding program director at Nido that it's just if you give somebody that opportunity you know plant a seed and say you can do this you got this and just recognizing that resilience that grit uh you can achieve so much more because I'm a testament of that. Yeah. Well, I remember <clears throat> when Holly and I first um, met you, we were, of course, you. It, it was a funny way that we met you, isn't it? <laughs> that it was a friend of a friend mm -hmm. who said, maybe you should talk to so-and-so. And, oh, and that friend said, oh, well, I think maybe you, we, I, I know the person that would be great for this. So it was interesting because we had been advertising for a very long time and the right person just wasn't popping up. Mm -hmm. So in keeping with, uh, I guess, your own your own personal trajectory, we had to be open-handed about this as well. And then you, you came and uh, Holly and I both thought, wow, this is the first, this, is, this makes good sense that uh, Monica is a good match for us. And of course, we were just starting from scratch. Um, one thing that was real for us is that while we were being organized out of a church and we, we were explicit about being a quasi-faith-based organization, mm -hmm. we, we weren't being a ministry per se. We were providing a particular set of services for people who had particular needs. And uh, t tell me something about how you see the intersection between faith and your work. You've already alluded to that a little bit, but say a little bit more about that. Um, I think, um, I feel like faith guides you, right? And mm -hmm. um, you could be in any service sector and you can still show grace and love to others. But um, I feel with us too, it's like creating a space and even, you know, the physical space of being a church of what the significance of a church is and how a church has always been the center of a town or a settlement. And it's mm -hmm. a place of refuge and sanctuary. Yeah, for um, the sake of our, let me just interrupt yeah. and say for the sake of our listeners, the program that Monica's program director of resides in uh, another campus of Christ Church in Washington Heights. And it was one of the principal reasons we chose Washington Heights was precisely because we wanted to be delivering useful service to a community and particularly to mothers with children zero to three years of age. That's how that happened. So we have a, another, we have a dual location and this Washington Heights location is in fact a church. That's what Monica's referencing. Yes. So yeah, I feel like um, faith and your profession intersect because you can be, um, you can show up for others you can see things in a whole different light and you're guided, right? By the principles um, of service, of understanding, of grace. And as we were beginning this program, it was that, how do we introduce ourselves? How do we love our neighbors? How do we love our community? And um, trying to um, create a space where, you know, it was not only just welcoming to our families or the community, but also to the other community-based organizations. How do we model community? How do we model partnerships in order to be able to, all of us work on, on a goal of service, of helping, of providing, of supporting um, those in our community um, and just 
having that sense of warmth and light and just seeing, um, meeting our families where they're at and just seeing them as individuals, as authors of their own story, of helping highlight those strengths and, and the resiliency um, and just coming alongside them. Um, just like God comes alongside us. He's there with us when we need him the most, where we're feeling down. You know, he's the one that we turn. And even for me, my own faith um, helps me to to get ready for the morning or when facing or hearing a, a hard story of seeing God's grace and the way how, you know, faith, bringing in faith and spirituality into my practice when families disclose that they are, they have a faith, um, they they are a faith um, and prayer or believing in a higher being and, a, uh, and God um, becomes part of our, our intervention of, you know, hearing our family say, like, have a great day. Que Dios la bendiga. May God bless you, protect you, right? Those blessings that we receive upon one another. So it's having that flexibility to navigate both, um, to bring the spirituality into practice and, and then also being my moral compass of being that guidance of saying, you know, I'm doing these things because you have given me this gift. You set me apart. You have given me this talent. You, I'm like your vessel and you're using me. Um, and just that to me, it's humbling um, to be able to be a part of something that God had in plan for all of us, to be a part of a team that believes in others, that loves others, that, you know, our faith connects us and that we are one family. So to me, yeah, it does, you know, intersect in so many different levels to providing a cup of coffee to the hungry, <laughs> to you know, the thirsty a snack to the hungry. So creating those principles, right, that perhaps other agencies are unable to, having that flexibility of um, bringing in the cultural nuances of our families, but also like a sense of service and how we do it. Um, I know you. We thrive on radical hospitality. That is something mm-hmm. that you always have. Uh, you know, as a staff, you always ask us to ingrain, and that's part of our principles, right? What does radical hospitality look like in New York? What is what does it look like when you can't even say hi to people? People look down; they avoid you. But when you stop mm. and you see others and you see the light in them, and you just say, "Man, like look at the look at how beautiful your soul is. Look at your journey. Look what you have overcome." Like you know, um, to even now with our COVID response of, you know, being in the front lines a little bit, making sure that our families are having um, a box of food, they have the basic things that they need. And, you know, really just looking and saying, like, you know, we're being called to action. This is what our faith, this is who we are now. That's an interesting, um, important observation, actually, because once COVID hit, we we had to uh, retool what we were delivering for the families that were we were helping. Right, we had yeah. to find fresh ways of delivering useful services under the circumstances because the circumstances were dire. Mm-hmm. It strikes me as you're talking, Monica, that uh, in response to this question about how does faith and work sort of intersect, I'm hearing you say, is that we embody our faith. You know, it's an embodiment of it. And so everything we do and say and think is a reflection or part and parcel of what our faith is. Does Is that a fair way to describe it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree. And um, 
um, and also how you have been brought up and how you see others that, you know, if you're going to do something, you do it with your heart and you do it without expecting anything else, but just, you know, what the joy or what that will make somebody feel. Um, yeah. Did you, um, I'm curious about your own faith journey. When would you say, you always were connected with God, even as a child, would you say, and then it just kind of evolved out of that? Or was there, there are so many stories, you know, in, um, in the States mm -hmm. of people growing up relatively prosperously and kids growing up and they have all of these existential crises about who they are, what their faith is, you know, all of this myself included, and lots of other people we'll be talking with will also share that same dilemma. I'm kind of curious, uh, your experience may, although I don't want to put words in your mouth at all, but I'm curious, your experience might just provide a different container for asking those questions, you know? Yeah, well, I think our faith journey, like, although my grandfather was the first one, it was my uncle, and then when my mom was going through her separation with my dad and making this decision, my mom, you know, my uncle's like, was there for her. Um, mm -hmm. Took her to church and she became a believer. And you know that um, as soon as um, we landed in, in California too, it was like finding a church. And so we did. Um, faith has been a big part of my life, but I think for me, it wasn't until going to my first sleepaway camp. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a Christian camp. <laughs> it was like that. Like, you know, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. And, you know, having like, uh, a week of just like this fun experience and, you know, having counselors are showing up. And I, I want to say like perhaps like at 10, it was like where I was like, yes, I give my life to Jesus. Um, yeah. um, and then, you know, my mom was like, we went to church, she served and, uh, we went to a Spanish Baptist church, which it was very interesting. Uh, my, <laughs> uh, uh, and then our church moved to a non-denominational church in Santa Monica. And at that time, my mom was nannying for the new youth pastor. Um, and so, um, you know, you're in your teens and you think you're all that in a bag of chips and you like church is no longer something cool. So, of course, my mom being the good Latina faith mom. Uh, would not let me go out until like I went to church or like um, you have to clean the house from the ground up and hope that you cleaned it well so you can have that. And then the other one, I remember my mom saying like, well, if you want to go to the movies with your friends and your boyfriend, <laughs> your novio, you have to go to Christy's house. She's starting youth group and I need you to be a part of that. And I'm like, oh, mom, like really? And Christy changed my life. Like, Christy Guype was everything um, a youth leader or a, a girl like me needed in my life at that moment. And um, the other folks that got involved too had a young life background. So they would, you know, bring the whole young life uh, mentality of let's have fun. But you know what? Jesus loves you. And this is how he loves you. How do you connect having a pie in your face to like how Jesus loves you and he's there for you? <laughs> uh, you know? So... Since that yeah. moment, um, I, you know, I was like a junior, um, we had moved to downtown LA and I was asked to see if I wanted to be a young life leader. And I was so thrilled. Like middle schoolers are my jam. Like that was like, I love middle schoolers and then high schoolers. And I was like, I'm able to share Jesus through, through this. And that community also got me through. So 
um, you know, there was like moments, I think, in all of our walks where you, you doubt God and you get mad or you just like are like in your teenage years and you're like, God is not cool anymore. <laughs> uh, to like, you know, my early 20s when I was going through this and I want to say like my foundation, um, my faith and as people pour into my life until that moment and even during that hard time, they held me together. They didn't let me give up on God in my faith and in my journey. You know, it sounds like um, more than many people I speak with, it sounds like you um, were able to identify and respond to a variety of mentors over the course of your emergence. I mean, I can point to certain key people, but not as many as you have already identified in just our short conversation. And I'm, right. I'm, I'm, that's a thing to pay attention to. And it's a, you know, that's a two-way street. In other words, there are the mentors, mm -hmm. but then there has to be a willing mentee. And yeah. um, part of the willing, you, you were a willing, you were an eager mentee, it sounds like. Right? Yeah. Does that make, yeah. yeah? And open to opportunities as well, yeah. Yeah. you know, to, to what the journey takes you. Like Christy changed my life where um, she was a tennis player and she was a tennis instructor and went to, um, went to Dinah Shore in Palm Springs and we went that year with her. And I remember like I had taken lessons and she was like, well, um, she set up something where I took a lesson, a uh, tennis lesson with, um, I want to say Nacho Gonzalez, which was the first Mexican American. <laughs> yes, of course. I, re I remember. <laughs> and so he, and, like, he was like, well, this is Nacho. And I was like, how are you connecting me with him? And just even like now thinking back at it, I'm like the impact that he had of him being a pioneer entering tennis, mm -hmm. right? Where it was like a privilege, um, sport where your color, yes. like, where you came from, you know, oh, yes. it was like that connection. I'm like, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about that, Steven. You took me to that moment in time <laughs> right now, and he schooled me. <laughs> <laughs> and like yeah. you told me, so just like I think, just being open, like you said, yeah, um, being an open mentee. Like she met me where I was at. She knew what. Um, she guided me to to have those other possibilities, right? To to be able to see that and just, yeah, you know, I've been so blessed that I had pivotal people in my life that even during my NYU graduation, people flew um, to come to it. And I, I, and it just blessed me that everybody had been in that journey and it was like a shared journey. Of yeah. I'm just aware that <clears throat> your openness to that is a gift as well. Not everyone has that. Mm -hmm. Many, many people are, 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 def are defended against mm -hmm. mentorship and um, and I, I'm I, that's true in your world too, Brandon. Right? I mean, you know what I'm speaking of there, right? Right. I mean, there's there's something to that. I mean, without certain people that kind of come across your path, you you don't move to the next kind of step. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think. There have been so many, um, like you orient, you disorient, and then you reorient yeah. so many times, especially with faith, because like it's so easy to get stuck in your faith journey and you either just become so dug in that you can't accept new information or you just feel like it will dissolve because it's not big enough to, um, to hold 
the life experience that you that you come into contact with. And so there are for me, there are all these people like every time I disoriented in my faith journey, there was somebody to reorient it for me, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, and if without those people and, and those people, like even along the line, like I look back at them now and I'm like, oh, they would think that I'm literally just lost and go into hell and, you know, completely on the wrong path now. But for, for me at that time, they were the person I needed to move me to the next thing, you know? Um, and I mean, they're just even, you know, outside of faith, like just mm-hmm. even decisions about career and stuff. There are people like that, that you come across. And I think being open to hearing from those people when you encounter them is a really important um quality to have yeah Yeah. to be open-handed and to see god you know part of the gift of the faith we have which is um the ability to see say christ in other people Mm -hmm. that makes other people potentially uh our mentors and Mm -hmm. our mentees Mm -hmm. we need to be listening all of the time Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't mean everyone is all of the time it just means that our posture is open-handedness as we are engaging others. Um, anyway, yeah. I don't want to talk too long here, but yeah. it just seems that. important to acknowledge that. Yeah. And even now as us, right? Like it sounds like we have this commonality that we had key people in our lives that changed us, that steered us, that guided us, you know? And how do we do that? You know, we benefited from others mentoring, believing and seeing something in us before we did. And now, like, for me, I feel like that's kind of, like, not my duty when I see someone. Um, Holly always says, like, you're such a great networker. Or even my friends in grad school, they're like, Monica can solve it. Like, she knows she knows someone to someone, and it was something, right? It was either, like, <laughs> or, you know, they're giving away X, Y, and Z to, you know, like, let's get together. And, like, you know, we didn't get to go to advocacy day, but how do we get the school to help us pay for it and go to DC and advocate for mental health services? So, uh, and then believing in someone saying like, Hey, you know, I think like, I think this may be okay for you. Like you should check it out. Like, you know, think about this in this other way, but also learning that um, from those that did that to us. And now even in my practice too, of being able to see that little something in our families or like an example is we have a mom who's making paper um, flowers. And I was like, you know, you should like, think about selling these like people on Etsy, like can buy them. Um, and she came, she, she made a flower for each of the staff um, as a thank you. And um, I had made her business cards and her name plays with guard, like with the whole theme. And I was like, you know, I, I made these for you so you can start visualizing that, you know, perhaps you can have a little, you can create a, your own business out of this, that out of your talent that you have. And um, during this time with COVID of, you know, nourishing it and, and 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 bringing it forth like perhaps like you can have like a future and doing these these paper mm-hmm. flowers as well so i think it's like you know how others have modeled for us how to um, mentor um how to guide and just seeing the good and the light in others and the possibilities right this is where it's all about possibilities that i that you see in others that do not recognize and being able yeah. to hear them and receive them right yeah, I see that in you a lot, that you are constantly on the lookout for uh, the gifts and graces of the people you're working with and mm-hmm. trying to uh, draw those out as best you can, which is a real gift. It's one of the mm-hmm. reasons why you are effective uh, in working with this population, particularly. 
Well, I'm uh, thinking we might be towards the end moments of our conversation. Brandon, is there anything else that crosses your mind? Yeah, there's one question that I think is interesting during this time is, you know, you know, COVID kind of makes this different from any other time that we've experienced. And I think I have things that come to mind that I've been learning during this time. And I wondered if there was anything for you that this experience has brought to light in your life or something that has just kind of come alive for you um, in your relationship with God or your relationship with work or your relationship with what you do at NITO. Uh, but if there was anything that came to mind that really had been illuminated through this time. Um, I think like thinking outside the box and how we respond. Um, right. And I mean, this, I, one, we're all collectively living COVID, right? We're all not just in the States, not just in New York, but it's a mm-hmm. global. Um, and that is just like mind bodily, right? And now it's like we're, we're doing it in a whole like world. And then how do we, how do we respond to it individually? How do we show up? Uh, how do we show up for ourselves and um, being able to be open to what does this mean to me? What is this like social isolation, not being able to see family, not being able to connect Mm. and having that self-exploration and then being able to see that in others. And how do we connect? Right. And this is where outside the box comes where, you know, Christ Church, like um, providing services online for us, it was like providing, opening our virtual doors, um, showing up with our families, um, partnering up, uh, being called um, to show up for our community and having community partners that were willing to do that. And because of these community partners, um, we're able to do the work that we're doing. We're able to show up. And I feel like this day and age is where our faith, who we are, what we believe, it's where it's tested. How did you show up for your fellow brother and sister, right? How are we showing up for one another? How am I holding you up when you're giving so much? And relying on faith and relying on God to just pull us through. You know, um, this is not the first one. We have Noah <laughs> in the flood. There's other, <laughs> you know, there's other like big disasters. And I think this one is going to be one for like the books of how faith leaders, how churches, how community agencies have shown up for your fellow brother, um, brother and sister. And I think to me, that was something that I was like, I never imagined I would be in the middle of something like this. I read about it. You know, you heard about it. Uh, <laughs> others, you know, Great Depression, World War One, World War II. Not that there were pandemics, but there were pivotal moments in time that changed our course of history. What can mm. we learn from that? What can we learn from the leaders that stood up when things were not okay for others? Um, how do we learn from, you know, our, our, um, the men and women from the Bible? in pivotal moments in their time and even from our churches and then from Mm -hmm. one another. So I think for that, it's just like everything that you read, that you hear, you know, that you learn on how these moments in time change history and change the individual. And to be say like, man, I can leave a little like Mark. I did something, um, you know, um, for someone else. Uh, I put someone else's need before myself. Um, We showed up. Um, uh, and and doing that, and I think that's where, like, one how you have been brought up in your faith together, 
it's what gives me that drive right now, that fearlessness. Yes, I'm afraid to go out and, you know, be encountering and doing those things. But I'm like, you know what? Before I was born, God set me apart. He's got me. And he's giving me these tools to do what I need to do. And just really leaning on that. It's been hard. But just knowing that, you know, um, I have a community. I have you guys. I have our team who continue to show up. That we have volunteers that believe in no matter what, they're here and they're doing and we're doing all this collective and together. And it's a whole, you know, saying like, together we can. Si, si se puede, si podemos. Yes, we can do this together. Because if we have one another, nothing is impossible in this moment in time. Mm. That's a pretty good way to send us off, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you, Brandon? <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Monica. You're no, thank, thanks so much for the conversation and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. <laughs> yes. <laughs>